we failed people that we've hired. I, I'll say it right now that I should not have hired them up front because we didn't have the SOPs out and, you know, everything detailed. So when they're coming in, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing and what expectations are supposed to be met. Really, in the beginning, you have to go slow, make sure everything is ironed out. Otherwise, you're just going to be scaling chaos. And that's never fun. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Today, our guest is Nick Sicilian. Today, we're digging into the lessons and knowledge that engineers can apply to their real estate investments. Nick is a former engineer who decided to get into real estate investing after having a, an experience in his personal life that really shocked him to his core, caused him to reevaluate where he was spending his time. We'll dig into that. You'll learn a little bit more. And we also dig into lessons and knowledge that he's bringing from his engineering background and applying to his real estate investing business. We dig into some tough situations he got into as a new real estate investor, how he dealt with them, and also how the systems thinking and methodology that engineers are taught and learn throughout their careers, how that can be applied to real estate investing. There's some very important knowledge in here. I think a lot of engineers want to get into real estate investing. After all, engineers are very numbers-driven people and can see the value in real estate investing. But engineers may be a little afraid to get into real estate because they're not sure that the skills that they have can translate into real estate. Today, we're getting in a window into how Nick applied his knowledge and skills from engineering to a very successful real estate investing business. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe. Catch us here every weekday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. Right now, our guest is Nick Sicilian. We're talking all about how engineers can apply their knowledge and skill sets to their real estate investments. Let's go. Nick, thanks for joining us today. To kick it off, can you tell us a bit about what you're up to today? And then we will rewind the clock, learn about how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I'm at a DFW. My brother and my business partner, TJ Coveson, we partnered up and we've been doing 30 deals a month. We've been doing that for about two years now, all in DFW. We were also doing a campaign in Houston, and then we also have a campaign we just started up in Tampa, Florida. Haven't rolled that one out longer than 30 days yet, so we're still waiting for the results and the actual analytics and all that stuff, but that one's going well. But yeah, we're just hunkering down and pretty much turning and burning on the deals. Awesome. That's great. What kind of volume are you doing today and what types of deals are they? We're doing direct to seller marketing. Okay. We do a deal first approach, meaning that we don't go into anything with one out, you know, disposition in mind. Right. So we're going to look at everything, pain points and get the best deal possible for that deal. Okay. We're doing about 30 a month. I said that earlier. We're doing about 30% of flips, 
uh, hotels, quick turnaround ones, right? Where we're closing, doing a cleanup and then putting them back on the market. The other 30%, I would say, is wholesaling, where we're just doing assignments. And then the final percentage is creative financing, notes, seller financing, stuff like that. Awesome. But you didn't get started out this way. You used to be an engineer, right, before you got into real estate investing. Tell us about what drove you to start getting into the real estate space, any frustrations that you had, and why you are where you are today. So I actually started out born and raised in New York, Long Island. I went to SUNY Maritime. I got my Coast Guard engineering degree out of there, and I was sailing offshore for like eight years. I was in the oil and gas field off, offshore Gulf of Mexico working on drill ships. And at the time, my oldest, sorry, that one, Damon, uh, he, was, he was getting older. He was about four years old. And he was nonverbal and me being away for three, four months at a time, it was just getting harder and harder to leave. I would go to say, you know, I love you, buddy. I'll see you, you know, when daddy gets home and he'd be like, I don't love you. I love mommy. Oh man. Right before you leave. And you know, he would say something gut wrenching like that and be like, oh, all right, well see you soon. You little bastard. Right. <laughs> like it hurt. But no, it was something that it was getting harder and harder. I was working offshore. I was making great money, but. It comes down to that quality time thing, right? A lot of times people want, you know, they're missing out on quality time. And I was. What's the point of making all the money if I can't spend it with my loved ones? I talked to my brother, Tony, and he's like, hey, just come home and get in the family business. At the time, that was insane to me, right? Because I went to school. I, I had 401ks. It was all this traditional path, right? I was doing the nine to five. I was in the the hopper and the rat race. I had the Roth, I had the IRAs, I had everything. And then I hung it all up. I hung up my boots. I cashed out my 401k and I came home and I jumped wholeheartedly full into real estate investing. And I was learning, I was learning from the fire hose, right? Just drinking from the fire hose. I got into hard money lending. I was doing lending for a while. That just analyzing deals over and over and over again. That really is what broke my teeth. And I got out of uh, the rat race in a sense. Awesome. So I think a lot of folks that want to make that jump, that really want to dive into real estate investing, particularly engineers, are afraid that they don't have skills that they've developed in their professional lives that could translate into real estate investing. Did you find that you had developed skills in your professional life that translated over or were you really starting from square one? When I was starting out, I, I had a long conversation with Tony, right? Tony's been in real estate for about 20 years now. And I was like, you know, why, why am I, how, how can I get into real estate? What am I going to provide? Right. I, I'm a, a turbo generator, right? Like I, I have all these things that nothing is real estate, right? And he told me, he's like, you don't, I don't need you to do anything except talk to people. If you can go and just have communicate, you know, have conversations with people, that's all you need to do. And that that's true, right? If you're, if you're having a conversation with the seller, it's all about building rapport and just being able to have a conversation. If you're looking for financing, it's having a conversation with a private lender or anything, right? It's just being able to communicate and then 
that that's what helped me, right? It's just being able to do that. But then I also had the the systems background where I could then come in and sit down with Tony and say, hey, listen, you've been doing it X, Y, Z. What if we start tweaking things and add this or add that, you know, things that he wasn't doing originally. And we just changed, right? And we're always evolving. It's It's been fun. So starting in real estate, starting to talk to people about a deal that they have, a property that they want to sell or really anything in the real estate space, if you haven't done it before, could be quite terrifying, especially for someone with a technical background that might not be used to having difficult conversations. What was that like for you at the beginning, getting into real estate-based conversations that you weren't used to, you weren't prepared for some of the unknown unknowns that might come up? How did you push through it? You have to really open up, right? Be okay with being told off right? You're gonna fail. You're gonna fall. You have to keep going. If you're working phones and no matter what you're doing, right? If you're going to try something, you're going to try it, fail, and then keep on trying it until you perfect it, right? I'm sure there's some sports quote there that I'm missing. But anyway, with that being said is I was just cold calling. I literally, my brother gave me his script and I was cold calling. I was cold calling realtors. I was cold calling title agents, all these things that were in real estate that didn't matter that if I crashed and failed, right? It didn't matter, right? Just pick up another phone and just keep going. The biggest takeaway of everything is just always to keep going. So getting told off, I think a lot of people are afraid of that. The first time you get hollered at by somebody, I certainly have on either a cold call or having a conversation about a deal, something like that. It's just going to happen, right? I, Somebody calls me about a mailer that they sent them for that I sent them for a property, what have you. What was that like the first time it happened, and how did you react to it, either positively or negatively? They're always funny. You don't realize how you're going to offend somebody until you make an offer on their house. But it's it's wild. Sometimes you know you're doing mailers. If you're doing mailers, you're going to get some fun ones because those people um, really take effort into making sure that you know that you pissed them off <laughs> we had one that they turned around and and gave us a mailer back but full-on letter photographs everything right just to say that they don't want an offer on their house and i'm like you could have just thrown it out but i'm from new york i'm used to being told to go to hell and stuff <laughs> so you have to have thick skin with that being said right don't you can't be brash. You have to be respectful. You have to be kind and and somebody that can be approachable, but you got to have thick skin. So what would you say your learning curve was like as far as actually negotiating a deal with a seller and getting to, you know, mutually agreeable price terms, conditions, what have you? It's tough at the beginning when you haven't done a deal before, but after you've done a few, did you start to get comfortable? The lovely part of me is that I, again, I jumped in and I had Tony there as acquisitions. Anytime that if we were on a buy call and we were doing it, it was always hand in hand. Things to take away from that, right, is play to your strong suits. If I know he is the negotiator and stuff like that, don't, I don't need to try to learn how to talk to sellers and, and do all that. I still can because I'm learning throughout the whole process. I'm during there. I'm doing the negotiation. I'm talking. I'm learning the lingo, all of that. But again, you have to know your core, 
core competencies. If I'm not right fit profile wise to speak to sellers, don't right try to get somebody else in there. Okay, so we talked about the cold calling, deal making side of things. Engineering also very useful for the systems thinking methodology, as you had mentioned. Let's dig into some of the systems thinking that you brought to the table and changes that you were able to make based on your background and that experience. So where's the best place to start, would you say, with the system side of things? For me, offshore, right? The first thing you do is you wake up, you have breakfast and you go to a meeting. All right. And then when you get off of work, you go to another meeting and then you have meetings and you have meetings and everything's delegating and everybody's overlapped and just everybody knows what everybody else is doing. When I first started out trying to figure out what Tony was working on, what I was working on, we were getting a lot of signals mixed, balls were dropped right off the gate, you know, coming in and just putting processes on paper, right? People he was doing things for so long, a one man show that he had no processes on paper or, you know, follow up process. You know, if you get a lead, you call that lead, they don't answer. How, how many times do you call that lead back? How many days do you wait? How many hours, right? Do you send them a text message and email follow up? All these things. That's where I came in and was like, all right, let's start. I don't want to say clean up a mess, but again, like just put a little order into it. Okay. That makes sense. You have to start treating it like a, like a business, like a, like a machine, right? If you get your machine to, to work on itself, to roll, it'll, it'll just steam away without you. So the, the systems and building the machine side of thing, and then there's the people to run the system as well. How did you develop both of those like in conjunction and think about starting to hire people as the machine grew? Like what did that process look like? So for us, we're very top heavy, right? We, meaning that we don't hire quickly. We are still in the business working, but that's, that's right. We keep our thin, our team thin and lean. We have three on acquisitions, two on dispositions. We're about to hire on a third for dispositions, but Tony's still actively hands on the acquisition side, right? Listening to calls, making sure that, that their skills are getting better every day. With that being said, starting out, we we failed more people than anything, right? Hiring, if you're trying to hire somebody and you don't know the actual roles, responsibilities, the needed items from them, you're just going to be trying to scale chaos. And we've done that a couple of times and we failed people that we've hired. I, I'll say it right now that I should not have hired them up front because we didn't have the SOPs out and, you know, everything detailed. So when they're coming in, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing and what expectations are supposed to be met. Really in the beginning, you have to go slow, make sure everything is ironed out. Otherwise you're just going to be scaling chaos and that's never fun. So at what point do you realize that something isn't working out and either decide to cut bait and let someone go or try to you know, revamp the position and make it work because identifying the problem is one thing and then what to do about it is something, you know, completely different. How have you approached that? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a case by case scenario, right? I used to tell everybody, cause I was in the lending space. I would tell everybody, I specialize in DSCR uh, refis. So I would tell everybody you have to refinance to your business, right? When you're first starting out, 
you can't hold every property. You're going to have to let a couple go, wholesale a couple, then you'll eventually cape one and throw it in your portfolio. And then as you get later, later on in your investment career, you'll start trying to refinance everything, try to throw everything into the portfolio, right? But that's, that's at a total later part. So with that being said, if your business is struggling, man, you always have to be constantly looking at it, constantly doing minor tweaks, not major ones, right? Small changes have big effects. I used to say that offshore all the time. So you can't just go in there and kick the hornet's nest and then expect results and success. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna have to do split tests. You're gonna have to run one campaign and then maybe test it out against another. As far as the hiring and firing, that comes down to you and being a boss. Some people aren't meant to be bosses. They don't have the ability to connect with other people, and that's fine. Their business should just be their business, right? If they're a one-man show, that's fine. They don't they don't have to have a big on shop, or you don't have to have dispo and acquisitions. You can be a one-man shop and still be very successful and happy. I know plenty of people that have their portfolios, and they just sit back and love life. But if you want to scale, that's when you're going to start hiring, right? And the first hire that you always do, you have to, we always tell everybody, you got to take that passion skill matrix and you have to offload what you're not good at, right? So if I'm not good at talking to sellers, that was the first thing I needed to do was find somebody that could. And that was Tony. If I'm not good at, at marketing and, and systems and leads, well, you better get somebody that, that is good with those things so you can spend all day talking to sellers and, and working your strong suits. Interesting. So maybe a philosophical question, but if I'm not good at activity X, how can I approach finding someone who is good at that activity? So I'm not good at it. So I don't necessarily know what it takes to be good at that activity. Do you know what I mean? How do you approach kind of filling that gap and identifying the skills that you don't have? So I make everybody take a, this isn't something I was doing offshore. This is something I came into later on, but we, I got into like disc scores and stuff like that, right? Personality tests. I was, so a little, little golden nugget is testgorilla.com. I think it's .com, but testgorilla, it's a third party site. You can send people tests and they have all different onboarding tests, right? You can go in there give them a simple disc, D-I-S-E test, and it just tells you they're composition right so what their what their strong suits are if somebody is an introvert right i can't expect him to go out there and be somebody on the phones with people or or actively you know a go-getter right there are people you're looking for for certain roles right so for an acquisitions person you need somebody that can just ramble can talk and and somebody that doesn't mind being told no a bunch, they're going to keep on moving. They're very high driven, high D's or whatever dominant I think that is. You're going to look for that role. If I'm looking for an admin person, I'm not looking for that high D person, right? I'm looking for somebody more analytical, just something to take into account. Don't try to fit a round peg in a square hole. <laughs> Absolutely. How's your son doing? Good. No, he, no, he's up to, he'll be nine now. So he's, he's doing really well. 
I couldn't, you couldn't pay me to go offshore again. <laughs> when I got into real estate, I let my license lapse. I didn't, I didn't put into, you know, into hold or anything. So if I wanted to, I would have to go back and start all over with my Coast Guard, you know, certifications and everything. I burnt the ships in a, in a sense. I, I hung up my boots. Uh, thankfully, not in a literal sense, since you would have been in a position to potentially do so. You didn't literally burn the ships. Yeah, yeah. If you were to do it all over again and make the switch, what would you do differently? That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't think I would do anything differently. Everybody always says, you know, if I could do this, I could do that. Listen, everything is hindsight is always twenty twenty. If you're going to kick your ass over every deal, or every if or should have, you're not going to be happy. You got to just wake up and keep moving on. I, I think everything was some form of education. If it was a win, it was a great win. If it was a loss, it was an education, right? I was paying for it. Totally. Makes a lot of sense. Great. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Nick, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah. Great. First one, what is the best deal you've ever done or the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Tony and I had a burnout that we did a wholesale on. We were originally going to take it down and do a whole thing, but I didn't want to do a burnout at that time. So we just wholesaled it and it turned out to be, I think it was like 175,000 wholesale fee. Yeah, it was that we followed them. We wholesaled it. They took it down and did a complete repair job on this top. I think it sold for like 1.6 beautiful property. Wow. That's awesome. So we had the best. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst. What is the worst deal you've ever done or the worst investment you ever made? Tony and I got into a property, wholesaled it. Sorry, we purchased it from a wholesaler, right? One of the ones that start with N. And they, it had a double close. We didn't know about it. Well, we knew about the double close, but when we got there, we thought it was going to be a simple, you're buying it with a tenant, you know, eviction type process. No, this woman turned out to be a title claim. So this woman held us up in title for two years, over two years. Wow. So we closed on it. I was paying lender fees on it. I was paying taxes on it. I was paying everything on it, but she still lived there for two years. I couldn't do anything. Finally, we got her out through court and a lot of title headaches, but it was over two years. We turned around and we sold it just got rid of the property, but I don't have a, a number on that, but just the pain and headache and stress of owning something for two years and trying to stay above water is always, so you didn't, you know, lenders calling you and making sure that you're still, you're still okay. And you know, they're okay. And their investment with you is safe, right? Like that's a big thing. You didn't wind up in the black on that or you're not sure. No, we did. No, we, we lost on it. I mean, after after two years and everything, but it's, I don't have a number on it, but it the fact that it was more so dragging, dragging out for so long, it's just the pain of it. Everybody always says, no, it's okay. You're getting title insurance. There's no such thing as title insurance, <laughs> right? Like in, the, the, the word insurance is such, such a misleading word there, right? Interesting. Okay. I've never had to make a claim on title insurance. Maybe we'll dig into that in a future episode down the road. All right. So like, for example, 
couple weeks ago, I had a, one of our houses, we're in the middle of rehab and it, and it burnt down overnight, just burnt down. City of Fort Worth took over an hour to get to it and put it out. And that had an insurance claim on it. That one's actually getting paid out. So my lender's going to be paid off. My rehab's going to be paid in full, like everything. Like that's insurance. The title insurance, you're putting it, all they're doing is they're going to say, who they, who they said owned it, owned it. That's all they're doing. They're not coming back. They're not paying my lenders. They're not paying my taxes. So there's that word insurance. You think you're going to be made whole? You're not. It's it's really misleading. Interesting. So. Okay. Don't put too much stock in it, I suppose. Well, now we go on to question number three, my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It's cheesy, but it's, it's you got... I've said it a couple of times here, but you have to keep going, right? And what do I mean by that is if you're one of our first deals, we JV'd with friends and they, they were counting the profit on acquisition. Okay. We said before the call, you don't count your profit until the wires cleared and everything's funded out. And that's when you sit back, maybe over a glass of wine and say, all right, let's count our profit. If any. We were running into rehabs up front and you're trying to chase that profit, all right? We would have to redo some plumbing and now that, that profit shrinks a little. Well, that, cause it wasn't originally in there. And then you're, you're chasing, you're trying to squeeze your contractors as tight as possible. And at the end of the day, the only way you're going to get out of a deal is just by finishing it. You have to just keep moving forward, get the job done, and move on to the next one. You're not going to retire off of one deal. You're, you're not going to get rich off of one deal. You just got to keep your head down and keep going. I love it, and I totally agree. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today, sharing your knowledge. If folks want to find you on the internet, where can they track you down? We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, all those fun ones. We have YouTube, The Sicilian Brothers. We just passed 75,000 followers. That would be probably the easiest one to find us on. But we're on all the channels. You can just look us up, The Sicilian Brothers or Nick Sicilian. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.